queen came to my hometown once, and I was fortunate enough to work in the centre of town. My offices were right there in the centre of Harrow. So at lunchtime, I just had to walk down the stairs and go onto the high street and line up alongside everybody else. But I was quite late to the party, so I was about six, seven people deep on the pavement with the high street being left clear for Queenie. Uh, but being a little bit taller than average, I was able to tiptoe, you know, and reach up a little bit and look over the heads of other people. And sure enough, the Queenie came along and we all applauded and waved our flags and did the thing. <laughs> now, what I also saw right then and there was my friend's youngest daughter on her own, maybe with an aide or two and a bodyguard, being shepherded into the, the main bit of the street that had been barricaded off. And she met the Queen. And she gave the queen her flowers and shook her hand. The picture was in the paper the next day. The picture with my friend's daughter holding the flowers out to the queen. And you can just about see me about six people deep, or at least the top of the head if, you're, if you know what you're looking for. Well, I mean, she's quite a savvy, you know, sweet little girl. So you can understand she might have been able to wriggle through a little bit. And she was clearly determined. She'd in advance and bought herself some flowers, but it transpired that she'd even prayed that morning to meet the Queen. Now, as a parent, you know what you do, don't you, in those moments? You kind of have to dampen, maybe manage expectations a little bit. Well, we'll all meet the Queen, we'll all be on the side of the road, but lo and behold, she met the Queen. Look at that. Well, as Dale said, we've got a new a teaching series that's going to take us through till Christmas. And what we're going to do is look at some of the people who encountered Jesus. Some of the first-hand accounts of people who met Jesus in the flesh back in the day. As recorded across four of our Gospels, we've selected a dozen or so accounts, and we're going to look at those. So today, I'm going to start with a story of Zacchaeus looking for Jesus. Zacchaeus looking for Jesus. And you'll find his story, his account, in Luke chapter 19. But I'm just going to tell you the story anyway. You see, Jesus had been traveling around with his 12 disciples, healing and teaching and doing the stuff. Well, there was a moment when he sat them down and he explained to them, we're now going to go to Jerusalem. He explained that what was going to happen there was that he would be handed over to the Gentiles, he'd be insulted, he'd be mocked, he'd be killed, and then he would raise to life again only days later. And I'm not sure really that the disciples kind of got it, but off they went to Jerusalem. And the first place they got to was the city of Jericho. And in Jericho, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was desperate to see Jesus. He wanted to know who Jesus was. Now, we know three things about Zacchaeus from the Bible. Firstly, his job. He was a chief tax collector. I was probably disliked. Come back to that. We also know his means. He was rich. He was very wealthy. And thirdly, we know his height. He wasn't particularly tall, so he needed a hatch a plan. And so he calculated the route that Jesus would go on, and he ran on ahead and he found this tree that was really easy to climb, and he climbed up it, and he waited. Well, lo and behold, Jesus only came that way. He did. And he looked up to Zacchaeus in the tree, and he, and he even knew his name. He said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I want to come to your place and hang out with you. 
I want to come round to your home. Come on. Well, Zacchaeus was aghast. He was also chuffed. And he clambered down from his tree and he took Jesus home with him. Now, the onlookers were a little bit puzzled by this. In fact, they were more than that. They were a little bit disgruntled. They were muttering amongst themselves, you know, well, what's, what's Jesus doing? He's hanging out with a sinner. Oh, this is not what we anticipated. Well, later on at the house, maybe they'd had some food, they're lying around, or other people there. Jesus had his disciples with him, I guess. Zacchaeus, in front of everybody, he stood up. And he said, look, Lord, looking at Jesus, Today, right now, I'm going to get half of all my possessions and I'm going to give it away to the poor. And, he said, if I've cheated anybody, swindled or defrauded anybody out of anything, I'm going to restore it four times over to them. Whoa. And then Jesus said some interesting things. He declared this. Today, salvation has come to this house. Maybe it's for the benefit of others around. I don't know. He went on. He said, because this man truly is a son of Abraham. I don't think he was simply restoring Zacchaeus to his Jewish kind of brothers and sisters ethnically, because they would have ostracized him a bit because of his job. He was saying there's something of the quality of Abraham's faith that I see in Zacchaeus. And then he went on and he said this final thing and Luke records it for us and he moves on to another account. We don't quite know what happens next, but it's really important what he said. Jesus seemed to conclude and explain beyond just that immediate occasion and he said this, for the son of man, referring to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. That's all we know about that account and you can check it out. In Luke 19, I'll get you to open your Bibles a little bit later if you haven't already. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that this morning you'd help us to engage with this account, understand this account, and hear your voice from this. We thank you you've left it for us, for our good, and to build us up. Now teach us by your Holy Spirit that we would be changed and inspired and motivated to do your work here on earth in your power. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. I'm just going to get my water. There we are. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, you're very welcome. I'm glad you're here. But I'd like to suggest to you that Zacchaeus is your example. Go away and look at what Zacchaeus did. And I pray that like Zacchaeus, you would come to earnestly look at Jesus and who he is, what he's about. That's my prayer for you. We've even got something called Just Looking that helps you do just that uh, starting in October. So look out for that. But my prayer is that you'll come to the same place of faith that Jesus is Lord, as Zacchaeus did, and come to that same place of just giving it over to him, of repenting of your sin and allowing him to give you forgiveness and new and eternal life in his name. If you're a Christian here today, I'm mainly talking to you. For the rest of the morning. The rest of you can listen in. Please do. And I trust you'll learn something. But I, I feel for us, as his disciples, Jesus is our example in this account. And we're to learn from him as we go on mission together. The subtitle for this preaching series is Old Stories, 
new stories. And one of the reasons we like looking at these encounters with Jesus, and one of the reasons I believe they're in the Bible is because God wants to write new stories like these old stories in people's lives that we meet and the people we know. We've been hearing a bit already about it this morning. In, in a dad who was passing away. Salvation. In the 11th hour. We've been hearing about healing from addictions. Salvation came. And brought goodness and change and transformation. We want these kind of stories to be repeated again and again. And God does too. In the people that we come across in our lives. The concluding line, as you heard me say in verse 10 of chapter 18 here, is that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I think it's one of the key verses in the whole book of Luke. It's a summary of why Jesus came and his purpose on planet Earth. And while Jesus now is alive and he is in heaven, I do believe he's remaining focused on this task of seeking the lost, of saving the lost. Yet, he wants to involve us in it got a job for you and me to do. As church, we do, don't we? We want to see people saved. We do. And our men might be helpful. Go on, our minute. Our men, yes, we do. As a church, we want to see people healed. Amen. We do want to see more and more people healed. We want to see people delivered. Amen. Amen. We want to see people set free. Amen. We want to see people filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? We want to see people transformed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? What's more, my imagination runs away with me a little bit, perhaps, but I imagine the whole community of Jericho was different after this event. We don't get to hear about it. We don't get to read the definitive kind of version of it, but I imagine Zacchaeus followed through and gave half of his possessions to the poor. I think it would have changed the town. I think it would have been a little bit different on Monday morning going back into that tax office where he presided over the team of tax collectors. I think there was going to be a new culture in that place. I think there was going to be a new protocol. I think it was going to have an impact to the businesses and the people and the households of that city. We want to see that kind of transformation, that kind of salvation. Amen? Amen. Yes, we do. You know, as we look through these encounters over the coming term, and what I think God's going to start doing in us even today are these three things. He's going to raise our expectancy. He's going to help us to be spiritually alert. And he's going to help us to be more flexible. I'm going to look at those three today. Expectancy. God wants to raise our expectancy of his kingdom coming today of his kingdom breaking out amongst the people we know. He wants us to wake up every day believing anything is possible. Irrespective of what happened yesterday, irrespective of how I perceive my own personal track record, today is pregnant with kingdom possibilities. Amen? Because it's today. And God is with us. We had it prophetically reminded to us this morning. 
You see, the word for salvation used in this passage is the Greek word sozo, and if you know anything about it, it's a very fat word. It includes all sorts of things, all the kind of things that God wants to do in reversing the impact of the fall, all the things he wants to restore and put right in this world. It is used in the Bible as a word to describe those being born again, those receiving new life, eternal life. It's used in the Bible to describe those who were healed and those who were delivered of evil. And Zacchaeus' counter, I believe is designed to raise our faith in what God can do and wants to do. For two reasons. Firstly, because Zacchaeus is a very, very unlikely candidate for salvation. And secondly, because I think this this occasion gives illustration, is demonstration of the kind of things Jesus had only just been teaching his disciples. It's like he'd given them the theory, and here it is in real. It actually happens. And I want us to go on that journey together. So do open your Bibles, if you have one, at Luke chapter 18 and 19. It's helpful to have the Bible because you get 18 as well as 19. I can only project, you know, so many verses on here. Uh, If you haven't got one uh, this week, then I encourage you to bring it over the coming weeks as we delve into these passages. If you don't own one, we do have a couple spare at the back. We'd love to help you buy one, etc. So let's open it and look at it together. Let's draw on it. We're going to look at it again, I'm sure, in life groups after you've done your hellos and your welcomes and what do you do over the summer this coming Tuesday. Firstly, what we learn about Zacchaeus in verse 1 here, no, verse 3, is that he was a tax collector. I've already said it. Now, tax collectors, I imagine, get a bad press the world over. But here, even the more so. They were the agents in these days of the pagan Roman conquerors. They were helping to support the foreign regime in the nation. They were also accused quite frequently of defrauding their own people. So as a result, the tax collectors were despised. They were ostracized, kept away from the rest of the Jewish community. They were labeled as sinners, along with those inherently evil uh, occupations, such as prostitution in the people's minds. To make it worse, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. No doubt his hard heart hardened even further by the callousness of greed and, and, and self-preservation and self-sufficiency and uh, that that kind of role would have engendered. But we look on chapter 18, the preceding page, Jesus taught his disciples a parable about a tax collector. I don't think that's insignificant. Let me read Luke chapter 18, verse 10 to you. Two men, said Jesus, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But, Jesus said, the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, said Jesus, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What a shocking twist in that parable. Not what you'd have expected. The tax collector was declared justified before God, without sin, innocent and pure, rather than the Pharisee, who would have been considered the most religiously observant of the Jews. And now, in real life, as demonstration of this parable, Zacchaeus was living proof that this parable can come to pass. I think that would have encouraged the disciples. It should us too. 
Secondly, we know that Zacchaeus was rich in verse 2. And again, only a few verses beforehand in chapter 18, at the end of it there, Jesus met another rich man, a rich young ruler who asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal what life? And he said, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And he started listing out the commandments. And it's as if the, the, the young guy interrupted him. He said, yes, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when that rich person had heard that, he was very sad because he was extremely wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And you can almost <laughs> put yourself in the shoes of the disciples and the onlookers at the time, because they replied, well, well hold on a minute, then how can anyone be saved? If it's that impossible. And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. That is verses later. And here we have Zacchaeus, another rich man. I take some encouragement from this in my own walk with God, in my own mission efforts. Jesus had discouragements. He met someone who didn't respond, who wasn't saved, who didn't change and walked away. I think we can expect that to happen to us at times. But how encouraging for the disciples who found only in the next town, days later perhaps, the very opposite happened. The impossible happened. The rich man gave it all up and followed Jesus Christ by faith. You know, if God can save Zacchaeus, God can save anyone. We're singing that new song, Jim. Thank you earlier. That hope, let hope arise. I can't remember the quiet phrase, but come on, let your hope, get your hope up or something. <laughs> get your hope up. If God can save Zacchaeus, God can save anyone. That family member, like with Linda, you've been praying for for years and years. For that friend who consistently has just been disinterested in your faith again and again. Well, those colleagues of yours or those peers who just seem to have it all together. Everything they want, thank you very much. They never think of anything beyond the material. For those neighbours of yours who seem so worldly or involved maybe in some dodgy things, God can save them in an instant. He can do it. It's impossible for us. It's all impossible, but it's not possible with God. Thirdly, the fact that they're in Jericho, I think, is significant. Jericho had been the first place that the Israelites had got to when they'd entered the promised land, if you remember the story. They'd crossed the River Jordan. God, again, had miraculously parted the water, and they'd gone on dry land, and now they're in the promised land. Problem, so are other people. And they got to this first city, Jericho, and it was strong, and it was intimidating, and the walls seemed impregnable. How are they going to do this? Well, it was similar. Uh, Jesus, on his 
trip to Jerusalem for that last time to secure for us a true and better promised land first got to Jericho. I think there's a, an, an overlap. I think there's a parallel going on there that we should note. And of course, the people of Israel were led back then by Joshua, whose name in Hebrew is translated Jesus in the Greek. Jesus is the true and better Joshua, taking us into the promised land. And Joshua's first task was to defeat Jericho. And salvation coming to Zacchaeus would have looked to the disciples as impossible as Jericho being defeated. But with God, both impossible things are possible. He can cause the walls of pride and rebellion and disinterest and self-sufficiency in people's hearts to come tumbling down. As he did the walls of that city that day. But let's not dismiss anyone from salvation. Secondly, alert. We need to be alert. God wants us to be alert to the things he's doing in people's lives. As we'll see in some of the other encounters as well as this one, Jesus just seems to have this ability to discern what God the Father is doing in that moment. Do you not find that? It's remarkable. Jesus, I don't think, was simply showing off his power. I don't think Jesus was only providing evidence for his divinity. I think Jesus, in these encounters, was demonstrating to his disciples how to go on mission in the Spirit so that we would follow and do likewise. So let's look at Jesus' approach. Um, It'll come up behind me. John 5 helps us. We know this, some of us, probably quite well. Jesus explained, the Son of Man, again referring to himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. We know that. So in every situation, Jesus is on the lookout. What's the Father up to here? And then he gets involved in that. That was his approach. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. It's as simple as, as that. And so somehow, when Jesus saw Zacchaeus up this tree, he must have been alert. Hold on a minute. The father's fingerprints are all over this. How did that go on? You want to know, don't you? What was going on in his mind? What gave him that conclusion? For what it's worth, I found three places in the Bible when it talks about God looking out upon the whole of humankind. It's pretty much the same verse. And Paul uh, quotes it. In Romans 3, you find it in Psalm 14, Psalm 53. And basically, it's that God is looking out over the world. Looking out across everybody in it. It's almost as if he's up a bigger tree than Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is looking down. God's up a bigger tree. And he concludes, God's conclusion three times in the Bible is this. There is no one who is seeking God. Wow. There is no one seeking God. Echoes through the scripture. Yet you see, left to our own devices, without God at work in our lives, or other people's lives, that's what it would be. Nobody would be seeking God. And I don't think Jesus had a, needed a little prayer meeting to work out what was going on with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was desperate to see Jesus. Why would a man in his glad rags be climbing up a tree to a place of humiliation for a man of standing in the community? Why would he be craning his neck to see Jesus? I don't think Jesus needed much more discernment than he's desperate to see me. He had the crowds around him, yeah, but they were just desperate to see the latest thing. 
hear what he had to say, what was controversial maybe. But he was a man of faith. He was a man who was looking to see what he was about. And he thought, well, only God could have put that in him. Only God could have put that desire in him, Zacchaeus. I think it was a similar situation on his way into Jericho. We read a little story beforehand. He comes across a blind beggar. The blind beggar is calling out at the top of his voice, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped for him. There must have been something in the tone, even in language, the Son of David. He knew that, he was, that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who had been promised, the anointed one, the one that Scripture had foretold. He believed that Jesus was he. Maybe the others around at the time, the other crowd members, they weren't quite there yet. So Jesus heard that. Oh, yes, the Father's at work in this man's life. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see be healed. Joshua's lesson was the same. When he got to Jericho, he met this mysterious sword-wielding man who described himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua ended up falling down, and the Lord promised Joshua victory over Jericho by following out these instructions. Walk round the city of Jericho once for six days, and then on the seventh day, walk around multiple times, and then get your trumpets out and get everyone to raise their voices, make a big noise, and see what happens. I think Joshua's learning right at the beginning of that adventure into the promised land that it's not about devising clever strategies to see God's kingdom come. And then asking, God, would you just bless this? It's good. Lord, really is. We've copied it from other churches. We're doing what other people do. Just bless us over here. No, no, no. It's about spotting where God's already at work, getting involved in that. You know, Jesus made a, a remarkable promise to his disciples that they too would have the same spiritual alertness. John 15, he says this, When the Advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from my Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. There's a lot of which way there, isn't there? there? I'm trying to help you. Imagine I'm Jesus, he's saying this. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. The simple encouragement I want to take you to take from this, this morning is this. When there's a kingdom opportunity, you're fourth on the scene. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have gone ahead of you. And then it's you. And then you get involved. You get to do the bit that brings it into being, to say the thing, to, uh, to offer to pray, to pick up the phone, to spend some time and see what God will do. Be encouraged. You're fourth on the scene. God's gone there ahead of you in his triune way. And looking for Jesus. Who's looking for whom in this story? It's clear that Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus. He's the one who went to the effort. He went up the tree. He welcomed him home. However, I think Luke, who wrote this, wants us to grasp that actually all along, Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. Jesus was the one who looked up. Oh, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm coming to your place. He looked to spend time with Zacchaeus. And then lo and behold, when he explained his whole ministry at the end of that day, he said, look, I've come to save the lost. No, he didn't. I have come to seek and to save the lost. He's been looking for Zacchaeus all along. 
We've been singing those songs, haven't we? Um, the reckless love song. God chases people down. He fights till they're found. He leaves the 99. I think what Jesus is doing here is again demonstrating the truth of his preceding parables only two pages earlier in Luke 15. We know the ones about the lost coin and the, and the lost son, and the lost sheep. He left the 99. He found the one sheep. That's what Jesus is doing here for Zacchaeus. Jesus is doing that for the people you know. For your family, for your friends, for your colleagues, for your neighbors. He's pursuing them. So, in titling this Looking for Jesus, it's not just describing Zacchaeus, but that us on mission, our role is to be looking for Jesus. Looking on his behalf. What's the Father up here? Where's Jesus involved in people's lives? Where's there some interest? Where's somebody who's genuinely seeking? God must be involved in this. Let me commit to inquiring and going further. And thirdly, uh, really something to take away is to be flexible. So we're to um, be expectant, we're to be alert, and we're to be flexible. I've not got so much on this one, possibly because it's the one that challenges me the most, so you probably need to help me. But Jesus was clearly prepared to change his plans. I think we're going to see that in all of these encounters, to be honest. But for this one with Zacchaeus, it just seemed to be magnified. Um, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was only passing through Jericho. The disciples had got that. Okay, okay, passing through Jericho, on the way to Jerusalem. Okay, good. No, no, now we're going to stay here with Zacchaeus for the rest of the day. Oh, right, okay, change of plan then. He was prepared to be spontaneous. He had space for that. He stopped twice that day for the beggar. Oh, I'm going to spend a bit of time here. Oh, with Zacchaeus, I'm going to spend the rest of the day here. He abandoned any other agenda that others or he may have had when he saw what his father was up to. I don't know about you, but I found that particularly uh, challenging. I have, um, when I go to situations or any day, I have a measure of faith. Yes, God, you can do anything. You know, not quite sure what it's going to be. Give me a bit more info. It might be helpful, but I have a faith. God, you can do anything. I I think I do know something of God's nudge and prod and reminder and look, and, and I try and act on some of those. But the thing that maybe I need to work on is, well, am I really flexible? Am I prepared to have my agenda changed just for a couple of minutes? <laughs> or is this something I'm prepared to really go with? Because I know the Spirit's involved in it. And you see, I, I, I'm a task-orientated person. What a pastor? He's a task-focused person. Sorry. Um, and if you're task-focused like me, sometimes people in our heads can be like interruptions. Oh, sorry. But no, 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 no. No, we're, we're not. <laughs> I'm sure both can be redeemed. Task-orientated and people-orientated can be redeemed. I'm sure there's a, you know, restored version of both. We're working on it. Um, but no, no, God wants us to be flexible and respond. I can justify my inflexibility like this. Maybe you can do the same. You know what, Jesus? I know you sympathize with all of our weaknesses. But you didn't have an employer expecting you at work at half past eight in the morning. You didn't expect him to do the 42 hours a week that I'm kind of contracted to do here. At this stage of your life, Jesus, I know you were a carpenter and you were a builder and all that, and you looked after the family, no doubt. Maybe your dad had passed away. But this phase, Jesus, and I start doing that, justifying 
Well, Jesus, you had, you just seemed to be footloose, you know, just go with the flow. I don't know how many of us can really live like that, really. You know, Jesus, um, you weren't married, were you, Jesus? I don't know, just to point that out. Um, and they don't, you, don't, you didn't have your own children. I'm sure you had siblings who were younger, and yeah, you had to look after them at times and all that. But Jesus, you didn't seem to have many kind of civic responsibilities. You weren't on many rotors. I know you preached in the synagogue, but kind of when you turned up... To, and do you see where your mind goes? But I think the challenge to me, the challenge to us is, no, 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 you've missed the point. My son. <laughs> I need you to be flexible. You want to see the kingdom break out amongst you? You want to see the kingdom break out for people you know? Well, have some faith. Yes. Be alert. Yes, 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 yes. And be flexible. Okay. Yeah? You know, there is a new term starting, there is a new season starting. Some of you are starting new jobs, new courses, new universities. Some of us are going back to the good old routines and the familiar relationships. But, you know, we want to, over this season again, challenge and help one another to grow in mission. It's exciting. It's an adventure. Because Jesus is still up to it, and he wants to get us involved so how are we going to see the kingdom advance? Well, it may be through events and courses that we see some fruit. And lo and behold, we've got events and we've got courses. And we'll, things to encourage you to sign up to. And they're good and they're proper and they're right where they're done in faith and with vision. But really, if we're going to see kingdom, if we're going to see breakthrough, if we're going to see anything looking like revival in our lifetime, if we're going to be the church that grows into our vision of seeing 200 gathered on a Sunday, mainly through new conversions and people coming to Christ, how is it going to work out? Well, the courses and the events, they may help along the way, but I don't think they're it. But what if, what if a hundred of us come before God asking for more of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me, help me raise my expectation that whatever happened yesterday, whatever I've known of this in the past, that today is pregnant with kingdom possibility. That God, would you, Holy Spirit, just help me to be spiritually alert, not to overanalyze it, but just to know the nudge and the prod and the gentle whisper of your spirit, to see you're about something here, and not to dismiss it, and not to kind of dampen it, but get involved in it and be flexible enough. Now, we want to see these kind of things, don't we? On Thursday, I went to see Bobby and Amy and Arwen. Uh, Arwen's been in the hospital for five weeks. I had the privilege, really, of just praying for her as she's lying in her bed. Uh, Bobby and Amy are doing well, and they send, your love, they send love, and they appreciate all the prayers and support. They're basically living up there in a hotel provision they've got. But, you know, you're there praying for this bundle of flesh, this small five-year-old. You say, we want to see more healing. I've been to four funerals in the last, what, seven weeks, is it? Three, I know, we're pretty sure weren't believers. I want to see more people saved. Always time. I need more of you, Holy Spirit. Why don't you stand with me?